read a story this past week about a lady who had decided to go shopping one afternoon and she had uh, selected a bunch of clothes and she was ready to uh, pay out. And so she took all of the clothes to the counter to purchase the clothes. And uh, as she did, the clerk asked her, will this be cash, check, or charge? And she said it will be charged. And so she began immediately searching for her wallet and her purse. And as she did, uh, the clerk noticed that there was a large TV remote control uh, in the lady's purse. And so the clerk asked, uh, said, ma'am, do you always take the TV remote control with you in your purse when you go shopping? And she said, oh, no. She said, my husband refused to go shopping with me today, so I figured this was the best way to get even with him. I think we can all agree that conflict is a part of life. Uh, we can hit conflict in our lives, whether we want to, whether we like it, whether we understand it. We can find ourselves in the middle of conflict. Conflict can be a blessing for us because conflict can help us to grow closer to God and closer to one another when we resolve the conflict God's way. The challenge for each of us on a day-in and day-out basis is obviously to resolve conflict in our lives and our relationships God's way. As we learned from our time together in this passage last Sunday, God wants peace to prevail in his family. God wants us to enjoy his peace with one another. We know that Paul told us in Romans 5 and verse 1, therefore, since we had been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we understand and realize that peace is the inner calm, confidence, and contentment that we have because we know we are right with God by God's grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. We are not at war with God due to our sin against God any longer. No, we have peace with God. We have harmony with God by faith in Jesus. God wants us to enjoy his peace with one another. Secondly, we know God wants us to extend his peace to one another. Peace is a fruit of the Spirit that God produces in us by his Holy Spirit as we walk by the Spirit, not the flesh. So we know God wants his peace in us to go through us to those he places around us. Paul told us in Romans 12 and verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Though we know peace is not always going to be possible with everyone, we need to do all we can to live at peace with one another and all those God places around us. As Jesus told us and taught us in the golden rule in Matthew 7 verse 12, therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. If we want others to live at peace with us, we must live in peace with others. And thankfully, God has given us his wisdom and his word to help us live in peace with one another and with all those that God places around us, all those that we interact with 
on a regular basis. So open your Bibles with me, Philippians chapter 4. We're going to get back into this passage. We got a great start in our study of this passage last Sunday. And so I want us to do a quick review of what we learned last week as we press forward, as we press into what God has for us in this passage, as we continue making our way through this passage, Philippians 4, in verse 1, Paul wrote these words, So then, my dearly loved and longed for, brothers and sisters, my joy and crown, in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Paul loved these believers in Philippi. They loved him. Paul longed to see them again. And so Paul here, at the beginning of chapter 4, he challenged these believers to stand firm in the Lord together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And then he taught them, he instructed them how to stand firm in the Lord as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And he started this instruction in verse 2, I urge you, Adia and Sundike, to agree in the Lord. Paul's first point was we cannot live uh, and, and stand firm together. We can't live together and stand firm together in the Lord as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus unless we are living in peace with one another. Division in the body of Christ is deadly to the body of Christ. Yodia and Sunike were living in conflict with one another and hostility towards one another. They were walking by the flesh, not the spirit. They were out of fellowship with God and one another. And their conflict, their hostility towards one another was damaging their relationship with God, their relationships with one another, and the relationships within the church at Philippi. Their conflict was damaging the witness and the testimony, the ministry, and the message of the gospel through the church at Philippi. Paul, therefore, shared God's path to peace for us and for them here in this passage. This truth was for them in the church of Philippi. This truth is still for us today. We need to know and we need to apply God's remedy to conflict so that we today, just like these believers years ago, so that we today can stay on God's path to peace in our relationships. And so this truth is important for us today. It's important for you and me to understand, due to the prevalence of conflict in our culture, in our lives, and in our relationships, we know and understand that conflict is, is literally, seemingly, all around us. And so we have ample opportunities as followers of Jesus Christ to respond to conflict God's way, to resolve conflict God's way. That happens as we follow God's path to peace for us, his remedy to conflict here in this passage. The first point is I must agree in the Lord. He shared in verse 2, I urge you, Adia and Sudeke, to agree in the Lord. Paul strongly urged these ladies to agree in the Lord. Agree means to live in harmony with one another. It means to be of the same mind together. It means literally to think the same way. In the Lord means in the Lord. What Paul was urging these ladies to do was to think the same way God thinks, to have the same mind as that of Jesus in regards to what God thinks about their conflict, about their hostility, about their selfishness, and about their sin. Agree in the Lord means the Lord is first in our lives and relationships. Therefore, 
we will do what he wants us to do. Agree in the Lord in this context simply means when we're talking about conflict, agree in the Lord means end the conflict. Do everything possible in your power in the conflict. Seek forgiveness from one another. Show forgiveness to one another. Live in peace with one another. Love one another as sisters in Christ Jesus. He was challenging these ladies here to live at peace with one another. Agree in the Lord. We are able to agree in the Lord as we follow Jesus by faith, as we obey God's word, and as we depend on Jesus. You see, we live for Jesus in his power, not ours. It's all about his wisdom, not ours, his understanding, not ours, his knowledge, not ours, his power, not ours. And so we know and understand these ladies were not following Jesus by faith. They were not walking in obedience to the word. They were not depending on Jesus. They were settled in their sin, their selfishness, their conflict. They were not agreeing in the Lord. And so we must, as we look to travel down God's path to peace in our relationships, we must make sure uh, that we do all we can if possible, as far as it depends on us, we're going to live at peace with everyone. That means we must agree in the Lord. Second point is I must help make peace. I must help make peace. He continued in verse 3, yes, and I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Notice Paul also addressed, he appealed to another respected individual in the church in Philippi to help these ladies to agree in the Lord. He referred to this person as his true partner. True partner in the original language, suzagos, it, it means teammate. It means yoke fellow. It means fellow worker in ministry. So he's appealing, Paul is appealing to a teammate in Christ Jesus in the church here in Philippi. True partner also signified that this person had a real, sincere, authentic, genuine faith in Jesus. True partner here was more than likely someone who was involved in ministry of the church in Philippi. Someone Paul knew, someone whom Paul had more than likely ministered with and possibly even discipled during his time of ministry in the church in Philippi. And so as he was writing this letter to them, he referred to this true partner and he challenged them to help these ladies. Help is a present imperative. He said, yes, and I also ask you, true partner, to help. That means it's a command. Paul commanded this true partner to help Yodian Sunike to agree in the Lord, to live in peace with one another, to reconcile with one another so that they could live in peace with one another so that this conflict could be resolved God's way. Again, these ladies knew better. They knew their conflict and refusal to reconcile was wrong and unpleasing to God. And so Paul urged these ladies, agree in the Lord. And then he took that next step and he went to those in ministry there around these ladies and said, help them agree in the Lord. Help make peace where there is conflict. This is true for you and me today as well. We too are to help 
make peace where there is conflict. We're to help make peace where there's conflict in our lives and our relationships. And we are also to be alert, aware, sober-minded, so that we can help make peace when we see conflict going on in the relationships between our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Now, why should we help make peace? Let's look at a few reasons why we should help make peace. Number one, God desires peace. This is important for us because God desires peace. Scripture reminds us that God is the God of peace. As we continue making our way through this passage, we'll get to verse 9. And in verse 9, Paul reminds us God is the God of peace. There is no peace for us without God. God made peace possible for us by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. We know this is one of the reasons why Paul opened many of his letters in the New Testament to the churches in the New Testament with this simple greeting, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We have peace with God because of the grace of God poured into our lives in Christ Jesus. Grace comes before peace. Grace opens the door to peace. God's grace expressed to us in Christ Jesus opens the door for us to receive peace with God. And so we know God desires peace. He desires peace with us, but God also desires us to be peacemakers. As Jesus told us in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Peacemakers are called sons and daughters of God. So we know that we're to seek to help make peace where there is conflict because as we help make peace, we imitate God and we obey God. As we help make peace in our relationships, but also in the relationships of our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. And so God desires peace, which is one of the reasons why we need to be alert. We need to be ready to help make peace where we see conflict uh, in relationships. Second reason is the gospel inspires peace. The gospel inspires peace. The message of the gospel was of primary importance to Paul. It was first and most important to Paul. Above all else, the message of the gospel, you see it right here in verse 3. Paul said, yes, I ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the, say it with me, gospel at my side. Paul reminded this teammate in ministry, hey, listen, these ladies, they contended with me at my side for the cause of the gospel. Contended is actually an athletic term. It was an athletic term that was used in Paul's day, and it means to strive for a prize. It means to compete in the games. It means to labor with one another. Paul used this word in chapter 1 as well. Turn to chapter 1 in Philippians just real quick. I want us to see how Paul used this word again in chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 27, Paul uh, was sharing with these believers some encouragement. He said this, just one thing. So we, we ought to obviously take, take note if he's saying just one thing. This, this is important. 
as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, remember, he wanted to see them. He longed to see them again. He wasn't sure if he would. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel. So again, the gospel inspires us to live in peace. The gospel brings us together as family in Jesus. The gospel reminds us that we are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. The gospel reminds us that we are to live worthy of the gospel. We are to stand firm in the gospel. We are to contend for the gospel. We're to live in peace with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ for the sake of the gospel. As followers of Jesus, we don't want to hinder the gospel in any way. Conflict, unresolved conflict, discord, division, disunity hinders the gospel. This is why Paul commanded his true partner in the faith. This is why Paul commanded his teammate in the faith. And he said, hey, listen, listen, help these ladies. I'm commanding you, help these ladies to settle their differences. Help these ladies to reconcile with one another. Help these ladies to live in peace with one another so they can live worthy of the gospel together, so they can stand firm in the gospel together, so they can contend for the gospel together as sisters in Christ Jesus. And so we know today the gospel inspires us to live in peace with one another. God desires peace, and therefore we need to make peace, help make peace where there's conflict. But we also need to help make peace where there's conflict because the gospel inspires us to help make peace. The gospel inspires peace. And this reminds us today, what we say and what we do the way we say what we say and the way we do what we do impacts the message of the gospel. It impacts the message of the gospel going forth from us and through us. This is why Paul encouraged us in Philippians and in other letters, but certainly we see in Philippians, this is why Paul encouraged us to be others-centered why? Because the gospel inspires peace. Therefore, we must be others-centered. That's why Paul said, in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Look not only out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Do everything without complaining, arguing, or grumbling so that you can shine like stars in the midst of a crooked, darkened, depraved, sinful generation. That's why Paul encouraged us to be sure that we don't do or say or live in a way that causes a brother or sister in Jesus to stumble in their faith in Jesus. As Paul encouraged us in 1 Corinthians, Paul shared with us, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. And then he said this, 
no one should look to their own good, but to the good of the other person. Hello. No one should look to their own good, but to the good of the other person. Paul said, everything's permissible for me. I have freedom in Christ by the grace of God at work in my life. But not everything is beneficial for me because I don't want to do anything that would cause a brother or sister in Christ to stumble in their faith in Jesus. I don't want to do anything that would cause somebody from coming to faith in Jesus. So Paul said, no one should look out for their own good because life's not about us. Life's not about me, 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 me. He said, no, no, no. We should look out for the good of the other person. We should look out for the good of them. You see, we want to highlight the gospel. We don't want to hinder the gospel in any way. The gospel inspires peace. So that speaks to us today that we too need to settle our differences. We need to resolve our conflict as best as we can as far as it depends on us. We need to live in peace with one another so that we can live worthy of the gospel together, so that we can stand firm in the gospel together, so that we can contend for the gospel together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. You see, the gospel is the good news that God has made a way possible for us to receive forgiveness of sins and to enter into a relationship with him by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. The good news of the gospel tells us that Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. He was tempted, but he never sinned. He died a perfect death on the cross of Calvary as our substitute. He took our place. He paid our price for sin. He was buried and he rose again on the third day victorious over sin and death for you and for me. Salvation is available to everyone who will believe in Jesus, repent of their sins, and place their faith in Jesus Christ. I love what prominent pastor Kim Witten said. He said this, you don't spell the gospel D-O, you spell the gospel D-O-N-E. It's the finished work of Christ on the cross that provides us with salvation. The work has been done for us by Christ on the cross. And so just as we have received the gift of grace and peace and love from God in Christ Jesus, we understand and know that we too are called to to make peace, to help make peace where there's conflict because God desires it and because the gospel inspires peace. But then we also know that we are to help make peace because our unity requires peace. Our unity requires peace. Notice in verse 3, Paul appealed to his true partner, his teammate in the faith, to help, to assist Yodi and Sunike, to agree in the Lord, along with Clement and the rest of the followers there in the church in Philippi, whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Paul emphasized our unity together in Christ Jesus. He put an emphasis on the reality that we are one with God and one another in Christ Jesus. Therefore, what's going on with me impacts us. What's going on with you impacts us. That's why he was saying these two ladies, they may have mistakenly thought what was going on was simply a beef between them, but it wasn't a beef between them. It was negatively impacting them, but it was also negatively impacting Clement and this true partner and all the other brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus whose names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life. 
You see, he said, our unity requires peace. And so Paul was continuing to deepen this call to the believers here in the church in Philippi. Paul had talked about this in chapter 2. If you look in Philippians chapter 2, Paul had talked about this unity that requires peace among brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. He said in chapter 2, verse 1, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, which the answer to that question is yes there is if then can also be read since or because since or because there's encouragement in Christ since we as brothers and sisters in Christ have the consolation of love we have fellowship with the spirit since we have affection and mercy from God in Christ Jesus since this is there he said then make my joy complete by thinking the same way having the same love united in spirit intent on one purpose He's saying our unity in Christ Jesus requires us to think the way God thinks, requires us to love the way God loves. It requires us to live the way God wants us to live, which includes living in peace with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Living in peace with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. This is why we're to go and help make peace where there may be conflict. Seek to make peace. Seek to have a, establish a common ground where we may not always agree on everything to the nth degree, but we're able to agree or disagree in love with one another according to the word of God, and we're able to move together in unity as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. This is what the gospel calls us to do and how to live. And then we also... See, an encouraging word. Let me just share a quick word of encouragement to us as peacemakers. God wants each one of us to be peacemakers. So each one of us need to kind of allow the Holy Spirit to sit with us right now. Because what we need to understand and realize is God wants us to live at peace with him. And I think that's pretty clear. We can all, in our own hearts and minds, determine as the Holy Spirit convicts us and examines us and searches our hearts and minds, he'll let us know how we're doing with him. Because when we're out of fellowship with the Lord, he convicts us. Because he wants us to confess that sin so that we can live in that unity and that peace with him. But we also need to allow the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts and to search our minds on this issue. How are we doing with being peacemakers? How are you doing being a peacemaker in your marriage? How are you doing being a peacemaker as parents with your children, as children with your siblings, as children with your parents? How are you doing being a peacemaker at work with your brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus that you do life with? How are you doing being a peacemaker with your extended family? See, this is part of the call of God that we're to go and help make peace where there is conflict. A quick word of encouragement for us as peacemakers, and it is simply this. We must be prayerful and careful as we go to make peace. We must be prayerful and careful as we go to make peace. If you're taking notes, write that down. We must be prayerful and careful as we go to make peace where there is conflict in relationships, whether it's in a relationship with us personally or whether it's in a relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ that we know about, that we're going to try to help make peace. We must be prayerful and careful. Paul taught us this in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Paul shared these words, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, which Euodia and Suntake were clearly overtaken 
in the wrongdoing of their conflict. You who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. So here we see Paul shared with us, and he's reflecting on this as he's fleshing what he shared in Galatians 6, 1 out in Philippians 4, 2, and 3. And he's telling us we're to go and make peace. So as peacemakers, we're to be prayerful and careful as we seek to go and make peace. When we go and make peace, he said, you who are spiritual, you who are spiritual, what does that mean? It means when we go to seek to make peace, we must make sure that we are growing in our faith in Christ Jesus, that we're walking by the spirit, not the flesh. You who are spiritual is not a reference to some elite force of spiritual ninjas that go around making peace where there's conflict. That's not the case. You who are spiritual includes us, all of us as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, those of us who are growing in our faith in Christ Jesus, those of us who are walking by the Spirit, not the flesh, not perfect, but passionate for Jesus, those of us who understand that God desires peace, the gospel inspires peace, and our unity requires peace. So those of us who are spiritual, those of us who are growing our faith in Christ Jesus, as we see and acknowledge and understand that there are brothers or sisters in Christ who are caught in a wrongdoing, for the context of what we're talking about, those brothers and sisters who are caught in the trap of conflict, who are struggling with hostility towards one another, unforgiveness toward one another, resentment towards one another, anger towards one another, bitterness towards one another, all the things that happen within this context of conflict. When we who are spiritual, when we who are growing our faith in Christ Jesus, when we see our brothers and sisters who are in conflict with one another and it's not being resolved, we are to go to them and we're to go to them to help make peace. And as we go to them, we're to be prayerful and careful. Number one, we're to be prayerful so that as we go to them, we go to them in love and in humility with gentleness and respect. We don't go to them with the Bible rare back ready to just whack them on the head because they're out of step with the scriptures or they're out of step with the spirit. No, we are prayerful that as we go to them, that we're going to them in love, that we're to go into them in humility, because if we go to them in love and humility, we're more likely to be gentle and respectful as we seek to help make peace. But we're also to go to them and be careful. Why does he say be careful? So that when we go to them, we aren't also then caught up in their conflict. We gotta be careful that we don't get caught up in the midst of the conflict. We gotta be careful that we don't get caught up in their feelings and all of a sudden we start to moan and groan with them. And we start to get angry with them. And we start in the beginning to try to help make peace and then we end up stepping right down in the middle of that conflict and making it worse. We're to be prayerful. We're to be careful that as we go to make peace, we're doing that in love and humility, with gentleness and respect, according to the truth of God's word, to help them, to remind them, if nothing else, that God desires peace in this situation, in this conflict you're in, and the gospel inspires your peace. And quite honestly, our unity as brothers and sisters in Christ requires peace. Because you see, when brothers and sisters are caught in conflict with one another, it impacts the body. It impacts all of us. That's why God wants us to be peacemakers. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. They'll be called children of God. And then we see the third point 
that we see here in this passage is I must rejoice in the Lord. Look at what Paul said in verses 4 and 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Notice now what we've seen. What have we already seen in this passage? We've seen that Paul has challenged these believers to stand firm in the Lord, to agree in the Lord. Now he says rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice is a present active imperative. It means it's a command to obey today, every day, all through the day. Rejoice means be glad. It means be exceedingly well. Now, the context provides some clarity for us. Remember the context of this command from Paul to these believers, the ladies and all the believers there at the Church of Philippi, the context of this command to rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice, is in the middle of the huge conflict between Yodi and Suntike. It's in the middle of this huge conflict. Now, Paul was not telling these ladies and all the other believers in the church of Philippi to rejoice in their conflict, to rejoice in their division, to rejoice in their disunity. He wasn't saying that. Conflict, unresolved conflict, division, disunity steals our joy. No, as you see, Paul shared with them, Paul challenged them, Paul commanded them, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the unity they have with God and with one another in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the relationship they have with God and one another in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the blessings that they experience from God through faith in Christ Jesus. Rejoice in the power of the Lord, which is enough to help them resolve their conflict. Rejoice in the power of the Lord, which is enough to help them live in peace with one another. He said, rejoice in the Lord because of the Lord's graciousness. Freely they had received God's grace as followers of Jesus Christ. Freely they were to show God's grace to one another. Freely they had received God's gentleness to them. Freely they were to show God's gentleness to one another. These ladies needed to show God's grace to one another. They were to rejoice in the Lord as well. Paul reminded them to rejoice in the Lord uh, in his graciousness, to rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is near. He said, rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is near to convict you and judge you for your sin and disobedience. Rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is near to help you agree in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is near to help you forgive one another. Rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is near to help you love one another. Rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is near to help you live in peace with one another. Rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is near to help you live worthy of the gospel together. Rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is near to help you stand firm in the gospel together. Rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is near to help you contend for the gospel together. Rejoice in the Lord because the Lord is near to help you share the gospel together as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. This is what Paul was commanding them to do, to rejoice in the Lord. And Paul reminded them the Lord is near, which also pointed to the return of Jesus. They could rejoice in the Lord always. Paul said, I will say it again, rejoice, because the Lord is near. That also means Jesus is coming back for us to take us to be with him forever. So what Paul was saying is these ladies, Yodi and Sunike, and all the believers in the church of Philippi needed to help these ladies to live for Jesus, to love one another like Jesus, to live in peace with one another through Jesus, to make the most of the time God had given to them because Jesus is near and he's coming back for us. You see, Paul practiced what he preached 
Paul rejoiced in the Lord as he was writing this letter, these words from a prison cell to these believers. Paul understood this key point. I think you and I understand it as well today. It's a great reminder to us. Paul understood this point. We cannot rejoice in the Lord and live in conflict and hostility with the Lord's people at the same time. Can't do it. Cannot do it. You see, rejoicing in the Lord causes us to love the Lord. Rejoicing in the Lord causes us to love the Lord's people. Rejoicing in the Lord causes us to love all those God places around us. Rejoicing in the Lord causes us to live for the Lord. And our joy, follow me now, our joy is not based on our circumstances, ourselves, or others. Our joy is based on the Lord. Our joy is found in the Lord. As one pastor said, we rejoice in the Lord, not in our circumstances, in the Savior, not in our situation. Our joy is is in the Lord. Notice in verse 4, Paul did not say rejoice always. He did not say rejoice always. He said rejoice in the Lord always. We can rejoice in the Lord always as followers of Jesus. We can rejoice in the Lord always because the Lord is always with us. We can rejoice in the Lord always because of the peace that we have with God in Christ Jesus. We can rejoice in the Lord always because of the peace we have with one another by faith in Jesus. We can rejoice in the Lord always because of the many blessings that we have received from God in Christ Jesus. We can rejoice in the Lord always because God will empower us to love one another. We can rejoice in the Lord always because God will empower us to live in peace with one another. We can rejoice in the Lord always because God will empower us to live worthy of the gospel together. We can rejoice in the Lord always because God will empower us to stand firm in the gospel together. We can rejoice in the Lord always because God will empower us to contend for the gospel together. We can rejoice in the Lord always because God will always meet all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. We can rejoice in the Lord always because we know the Lord is coming back for us to take us to be with him forever one day. We can rejoice in the Lord always because we know our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await for the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen and amen. See what Paul was actually saying, and he's going to get further into this as we continue in this passage, as we press deeper into this passage. He was helping us make this connection. As we focus on the Lord, we will rejoice in the Lord. As we rejoice in the Lord, we focus on the Lord. As we focus on the Lord, we will rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul said, I will say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Reminds me to the words to the hymn, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. 
What a great reminder for us this week from the Word of God. As we head into Thanksgiving week, as we look forward to spending time more than likely with family, with, with those who are closest to us, those that we know best and love most, as we'll be communicating with family, maybe in person, maybe from a distance. What a great reminder for us today, for this week. It's the same reminder that Paul was sharing with these believers in Philippi years and years and years ago. It's God's truth for you and me today and for this week. And it's simply this, focus on the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. Live for the Lord as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. God desires peace. The gospel inspires peace. Our unity requires peace. So let's rejoice in the Lord today and this week as we live in peace with God and as we live in peace with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead us in this time of response to the Father. He's speaking and he wants us to respond to him. And as always, the altar is open for anyone who wants to come and kneel and do business with the Father. Our ministers will be standing here at the front. They would love to bless you, to pray with you, to pray over you, to minister to you in whatever way to encourage you. I want to encourage each one of us to respond to the way the Lord is leading you this morning in accordance with the teaching of his word. From our brothers and sisters in Christ, let's rejoice in the Lord. Maybe he wants you to just simply spend time rejoicing in the Lord and, and just naming the blessings that are yours in Christ Jesus in the midst of a very chaotic year, in the midst of a very chaotic season that we are coming to a close in this year. We still have much to be thankful for as brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. Maybe he's convicting you about being a peacemaker. And God wants you to, to pray that he will provide the opportunity, the time, the strength for you to help make peace where there is conflict. Listen, as followers of Jesus Christ, let's continue to focus our attention on him. But like we do each time we gather together, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ has been presented once again this morning. And so if you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, whether you're here in person or streaming online, we want to encourage you to make that decision today. Jesus took our place on the cross. He paid our price for sin. He was buried. He rose again on the third day, victorious over sin and death for you and me. We trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross of Calvary that provides us with salvation. The scripture says that we believe in Jesus. If we repent of our sins, confessing them to God, and then 
we simply just place our faith in Jesus, receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord, then we will be saved. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me encourage you to cry out to the Lord, to receive his gift of salvation by placing your faith in Jesus, to acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of the Savior, to express your belief that Jesus is your Savior, and then just to simply confess your sins to God and receive Jesus into your life by your faith and trust in him. What a great day. Today, the greatest day for you to receive God's gift of salvation by saying yes to Jesus. Let's stand and let's respond.